Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> the Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirk the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, talking bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day. This is the second part of episode 9, which was all about Imagine, the adventure games magazine for the players of Dungeons & Dragons, are in a circle game. This includes a bit extra, a supplement, or more like a special issue, featuring extra bits that didn't quite fit into the first part. Once again, I'm joined by our special guest, Paul Coburn who faces the Games Master screen. I'll roll on a random table to select some of the highlights from Imagine, the magazine that he edited from its launch in April 1983 to its untimely end in October 1985. Last time, Paul talked about the launch of the magazine, and this time he talks about the circumstances around its closure and his time at White Dwarf. And then joined in the room of role-playing rambling by Judge Blythe, our resident rules lawyer, to cast a critical eye over a year in gaming and to award the 2016 Groggies, who will win. Only the spurious envelope knows. I'd like to dedicate this podcast to Joe Diva, who sadly passed away in November of 2016 a key figure from the period of UK gaming that we cover in the Grognard Files. He was the creator of the best-selling Lone Wolf series of adventure game books, which we'll cover in a future episode, and is a contributor to White Dwarf. I saw him at Dragon Meet last year, and he struck me as a generous and dedicated gamer. This one is for you. Andrew Doc Cowie has made a Comment on the grognardfiles.com Excellent as always, I still have this uncontrollable urge to butt into the conversation between you and Blythe that disturbs my children in the school run. Would absolutely love for you to do a podcast or two on the fanzine scene. At one point, it seemed like everyone had their own zine. Dragon Lords, of course, but also Beholder and Demon's Drawl and Imazine, and Quasits and Quasars, and Doom Book of Chaos, and, and... Well, that's a good idea, Andrew. If only someone like... If only someone like Ian Marsh was listening. If only he'd contact us with his Dragon Lord's tales on dirtthedice at gmail.com. If only. Until then, ramblers, let's get rambling. Games Master Screen with Paul Coburn. For this bit, I'm going to uh, erect a screen between us, the Games Master Screen. It won't make a slightest bit of difference because you can't see me. Um, but no. I'll put I'll put it I'll put it in front of me for tradition's sake. And for I'm tradition's roll, sake. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to uh, roll on this table uh, a d100. So here goes. Oh, first up, uh, that's a critical. I think that's uh, 
good start. It's Pelinor. So Pelinor, yes. Pelinor was uh, really it was, it was issue sixteen, wasn't it, when it first appeared? But that was part of Imagine's unique selling point. Um, the yeah. Way, the way that was presented and the way that that built up. You just explain uh, what Pelinor was and uh, how that came about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think if if we criticaled on anything, if we nailed anything, Pelinor was the thing that, that um, Imagine Magazine got right. What Pelinor was, was a every month we would... Uh, we would introduce a district of, uh, of an imaginary fantasy city called the City League. And the idea was that these were locations, these were people and, and, and snippet scenarios and, uh, and locations that you could drop into virtually any uh, fantasy city sort of style thing. And they were meant to immediately kind of give you a blacksmith with a bit of backstory or a uh, tavern that's got, you know, interesting stuff going on or, you know, so little districts. And we basically, we published these things in each issue of the magazine and they weren't, they weren't huge, but we knew that if we kept it up, we'd be building up this library of, uh, of Pelennor locations and, and developing the city league and then looking beyond it out into the, into the wider world. And that these things would just be useful in terms of you could almost like, oh, my God, they, you know, I'm running this campaign and they suddenly decided they've got to spend two nights in this tavern. I need a tavern keeper and I need a barmaid and I need a stable lad stat. Well, bosh, there they were. And yeah, it worked really well. And everybody was always incredibly positive. And the number... It was really funny. Uh, obviously, we depended on readers' contributions for you know huge amounts of of Imagine's published content. But when Pelinor came out, people went insane. I had a separate box of Pelinor submissions, just people with ideas, and uh, obviously, you know, we published as many as we could. I think it's because of the way that it was presented. It's it kind of, it was kind of, as you say it was only pitched uh, in a story mode, which was very different than things that you may may have seen in White Dwarf. It may, it was quite unique because, it, uh, as you say, when NPCs were presented, it was all about um, bullet points, about their attitude and what rumours they were aware of yeah. and that kind of thing. So it, it was, it was presented, it, it, it was quite revolutionary in a quiet way. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was. It, it, it was just... As I say, you've got people of my age back then, the guys in their 20s and, and what have you who are playing D&D are, are really trying to evolve it from a earn so many X, XP by hitting this orc, go up a level kind of play to storytelling. Uh, and one of the things that Palinor did was that it facilitated that by all the things that you've just said, you know, this isn't just us, you know, the typical kind of description of a location from kind of old school thing just talked about, you know, the physical dimensions of the room and, you know, how many orcs were in there and what treasure was in there. And it was all kind of just, and these are the numbers you need to run the game. And what we were kind of going is, oh, hang on a minute, couldn't this, couldn't this innkeeper, couldn't this baker um, or this swordsmith, couldn't they be interested in it? And if you want to as a GM... Couldn't they introduce some really minor plot points or um, lead you off on a little side quest? And that just, yeah, it, 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 it caught people's imaginations. And 
unlike the magazine as a whole, whereas we were kind of talking about a while ago, it took a while for us to get into our stride. Pelinor hit the ground and was running immediately. So from day one, we were building up this bank of, you know, bits and pieces, but that were all going to add together to be something much larger than the individual bits. Yeah, and I think we should mention as well, um, compared to the rest of the magazine in places, because it, it, imagine it had some good artwork, but it also had some patchy artwork. <laughs> well, you have to say. Yeah, yeah. But Pelinor was beautifully designed. The maps and the uh, all the material you got was so was so great. So great, you just wanted to uh, just wanted yeah. to use it. The the guy who did the maps for Pelinor was a find we we just stumbled over, and I loved his stuff. I almost like wanted to drag him full time onto staff to do all the UK module stuff, which he did the, some of. Uh, and to basically any time we needed a map or, or anything like that in Imagine to just use this one guy that was just staggeringly beautiful artwork. And from memory, I think he had a job and just couldn't kind of keep up with the sheer demand that we would throw at him. But we used him absolutely as much as we could. And did uh, Pelinor have a life outside of Imagine? When I uh, when Imagine closed, um, I with two other guys, put out five issues of a thing called Games Master Publications and shamelessly stole Pelinor and continued it in, in the five of those. And, uh, you know, that I'd have kept that going, except that I then ended up with a job at Games Workshop and that absolutely sucked all my time away. But, yeah, so we, we, we knew that Pelinor was something that was hugely popular and needed to continue. And I have, I might... This has just popped back into my mind. I completely, I think, forgotten that this happened. I think we put out a collected Pelinor to date thing at one point. And that was kind of, uh, I remember talking to uh, Tom Kirby about it. And that was his big dream was that, you know, at some point there would be enough collected Pelinor material that you could bring out a decent sized volume. Um, and there you'd have a, you know, a city in a book, a city in a, uh, with, with the staggeringly beautiful maps and more mini plots more mini adventures and um whenever we talk long term about it um that's what those of us who were big pelinor fans were aiming for was this idea that eventually um there would be this this entity the city league in a book um uh, uh, and how <clears throat> how useful and how powerful that that would be well, i'm going to roll on the table again Okay, and it's uh, 55, uh, fiction and authors. So the thing that caught my eye about Imagine back in the day was the fiction, because that differentiated it very much from uh, White Dwarf at the time, because I, I was a, a keen fantasy and science fiction fan. And sure. uh, I, I, the, the uh, story that uh, caught my attention was the uh, first episode by Johnny Black, uh, about a future where uh, people plug into a virtual reality. And it's quite a precedent uh, when, when you look back, it was written in the early yeah. 80s. Um, so uh, how did how did that come about? How did um, that inclusion of uh, fiction get into Imagine? I can't remember specific discussions about that, but it was all part of that kind of tone where we were trying to get a mix of content that would appeal to different people, uh, beginners, maybe even people who've never touched 
role playing. We, we, we pick this thing up. And one of the things that, that came to be thought as being uh, an absolute truism was people needed inspiration. People wanted to be given things that would inspire them to play uh, or, or to inspire them around a, uh, a campaign or an adventure idea. Fiction kind of came into the mix. And originally, I, I, I seem to recall we were not particularly ambitious about it. But because we found ourselves being put in touch with some of the kind of key authors who were around at the time, and I can remember meeting um, Michael Moorcock uh, and, and talking about this sort of stuff, we suddenly went, actually, we can have pretty good quality fiction because there are plenty of authors who've got a little bit of history behind them, a little, little bit of publishing chops and what have you. But there's not now an awful lot of vehicles for like short stories and what have you. So uh, we suddenly found ourselves with some, you know, pretty good guys uh, offering us short stories and us kind of going, well, you know, this, this fits really well. So, yeah, we were incredibly lucky with some of the people we were put in touch with. And after a while, once it's a thing, you start going to like the world fiction, uh, science fiction convention and things like that. And, and basically just shamelessly, you know, going around people and kind of going, uh, you may not have heard of this magazine, but we've already published this guy, this guy and this guy. I'd like you. Yeah, it, it became it became a thing. And what we were always looking for was fiction that was you could immediately kind of go. Yeah, gaming inspiration just leaks out of this uh, out of this tale. And it's interesting you mention uh, Michael Moorcock because uh, we talked about that particular issue when we talked about Stormbringer. Um, yeah. And it, now that I've got you, I really want to ask this question because I always find it hard to find references uh, of Moorcock talking about games and his attitude towards games. I think Imagine kind of touched on it. But did you yeah. get any sense of what he made of it, what, what he made of the hobby? No, he... he... He's um, so, well, so uh, you know uh, 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 certainly back then he was a, he was a guy who, if he wasn't passionate about something, could be in conversation incredibly terse about it. Right. So when we were talking about the kind of uh, you know kind of fiction that we were, were were looking for, we had a pretty you know we had some amazing kind of several minutes uh, uh, of conversation. Both the one time I met him and um, on the phone. About what you know about what we were going to do, and, and uh, he was really interesting, interested rather in the fact that you know uh, we were going to do some stuff about uh, Stormbringer in the magazine. But that was absolutely where it ended. What this thing was, what people were actually doing with it, he wasn't really at all interested in, and there wasn't a sense. There was, there was never a moment in that meeting where he went. So just. I've, I've, you know, obviously, I signed the license for this game to exist. Just, just explain it to me again. Um, you know, he really—that wasn't it. And I, one of the things, I, not so much him, but I think some of the authors did find the whole concept of moving from a, a, a typical fiction author's point of view, where you've got a story with a beginning, middle, end, even if you, you know, mess around with the format a bit, but there's a there's a narrative arrow through it. Uh, to something that's completely open-ended. I think that genuinely was alien country for uh, a number of authors back then. And I would, you know, I'm obviously putting words in his mouth. I would su suggest 
that Michael Moorcock was in that group who just went, but hang on a minute, I as an author want to go. And now that X has happened, here is Y. And what you're saying is, uh, I don't just want Y writing up. I want Z and A and Q and all these other possibilities because who the heck knows what your players are going to do. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. I mean, let me uh, roll again. Ah, this time it's uh, 23. Yeah, no, we're going down. This is awful. <laughs> it's fanzine and fanzines and fandom. Oh, no. Yeah. All right, this isn't too bad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting slightly worried about the trend, but you know, let's uh, let's let's keep going. Yeah, sorry. So, what did you want? Yeah, fanzines. Yeah, yeah so it, 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 you know, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't really do this. I keep comparing you to White Dwarf, but you know, our uh, podcast is steeped in uh, White Dwarf, and uh, White, actually, yeah, yeah, White Dwarf listed fanzines. It would uh, frequently mention Dragon Lords, as though that was the only fanzine on the block. Um, there wasn't really, other than the small ads, any sense of the gaming community out there. Whereas Imagine um, seemed to pitch itself as a, uh, you know, a, a fan-friendly uh, magazine, and actually encouraged um, people to go out and start their own fanzine. <laughs> yeah, which you know, if you if you now speak to some of the fanzine editors from that time, that wasn't their favourite bit of what we did. Um, <laughs> And and there is a sense in which some of the guys from from fanzines that were around when we started were kind of going, you know, you guys are responsible for a lot of dross that came out <laughs> by the time you'd finished. So, yeah, that's a that's a double edged sword, uh, according to some people. How important do you think that that uh, fan element was to um, the success of it, Imagine? I think it's absolutely critical at one level. And, and, and funnily enough, I was talking with Ian Marsh about this and I can't remember his exact phrase, but it was also, um, uh, it was completely non-influential in another. And, I, and I'll explain that uh, hopefully without kind of tangling myself up too badly. We, we, we talked earlier on about the fact that the reason that this wasn't just going to be Royal Dragon with a bit of UK skinning over it was Don felt that, what he needed was a marketing vehicle to speak to UK gamers in the most broadest, deepest sense. So that's why Imagine exists. So it, it kind of followed on naturally from that, that if we were going to talk to people in the UK and try and encourage the growth of the hobby, there were a number of elements that we needed to get really under the skin of and get back to over and over again. And that was fanzines, clubs, conventions. So from day one, it was like, you know, if we hear about something that suggests that, you know, uh, here are a bunch of guys in Leamington or Basildon, uh, big shout out to Chris Bayliss there, or, 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 or what have you, who are doing something and they, you know, uh, they're obviously active and heavily involved in their hobby, then, you know, let's, let's give them a little bit of room. Let's give them a bit of space to talk back to us. So it was, to us, it felt like this is how we make this communication with UK fandom. This is how we make it real and this is how we make it deep. But the point that Ian Marsh was trying to make, um, that I'm now going to paraphrase horribly, is that at the same time, the vast majority of the audience weren't fanzine editors. They weren't convention organisers. They might not even have been convention attenders. They were just people who'd 
gone in their game shop, picked this game up, and were playing it. And we shouldn't allow loud voices to kind of, you know, dominate everything that we did. Yeah, you know, other people can judge how much of that, um, how much of that was a, a huge benefit, how much of it was kind of maybe a little bit of a drag. To me, it always felt like it was a real plus that a uh, a magazine that still carried that RPGA newsletter that still had that fan club element about it, but was now on newsstands as well, didn't lose touch with the fact that TSR's most public things wasn't just the selling of games. It was being at Games Fair and running that convention. It was attending Games Day. It was trying to put ourselves into that gaming community as as deeply as we could. When Imagine closed, a few of the guys were kind of going, oh, right, so you know, now you're going to make things even worse by doing all this same stuff with uh, with White Dwarf. Well, you know, you're responsible for, um, you know, the fact that there are now 20 times as many fanzines and they're all rubbish. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> glad, glad, glad I could help. Let me, uh, let me roll again. Um, I'm sorry about this. It's a 99, so on my table... Ah. On my table, that's that's a that's a fumble, and oh, I was, really? oh god! I'm just going to say uh, three words for this fumble, uh, and it's named Nick the Novice. Nick. Oh <laughs> uh, yes. Um, well, yes. Um, what, can, what, what can one say about Nick the Novice? <laughs> yeah, the the nature of those early imagines that creative tension between wanting to do stuff for beginners and wanting to do stuff for the hobby as it existed really does boil down to Nick the novice. I mean, in the early days of, um, of role playing, a lot of magazines tried to do this in different ways. Didn't they try to yeah, uh, introduce yeah. people to the hobby? I think with imagine what was interesting is that it kept cropping up uh, at various intervals, uh, this idea of relaunching, to uh, new players so there'd be articles that would appear on like regular intervals that seem to be right from the beginning you know uh, explain it it's, it's like a board game but without a board kind of thing uh, and it never really gave that up <laughs> uh, no i know um but if you think about it you know even even today if you buy a new role-playing game there's going to be that section somewhere near the beginning of the book that attempts to explain what role-playing games are in the more sort of general sense before it tries to explain what this particular one is that you've now got. And you do sit there and kind of go, seriously, you know, if you're, uh, if you're, you're picking one of these up, how, how are you not already a gamer? And, and that, so I, it's just, it just feels like it's endemic amongst those of us who ever uh, put out words uh, for this hobby that we just feel compelled to go. And now these are what we call dice. And you <laughs> no, no, don't just hold them. You've got to roll them. And and like, I don't know, talking incredibly patronizingly as if, it, you know, every new gamer was six. Uh, and I, yeah, genuinely, uh, I, 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 I hang my head in shame and go, it, I, I feel it was inevitable that we had to try it. And we've, we've talked about both, you know, the kind of general reasons why and, and the people still do it and also the very imagined TSR reasons why we had to do it. But, yeah, it was, let's try and find an individual, a new way of doing this. No, we suck at it as well. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's time for uh, Nick 
the novice to come out of retirement. I could. Yeah. I, yeah. I, um, I think I might get a T-shirt printed with uh, Nick the novice reckon? on. Yeah. This, think, it, his time has come. Yes. I, it, well, yeah. Um, the thing about Nick the novice, and, and also Barry, you're absolutely right. Here we are in an era where everything gets rebooted. You know, yeah. you, you you can't have some popular franchise from the past and just kind of go, and now we're going to continue it. <laughs> Uh, no, you've got to reboot it. So I think the rebooted 21st century Nick the Novice, his time has come. Perhaps this time we'll start him with uh, Nice Black Agents or some <laughs> indie game. Yeah, yeah, he really needs a, he needs a good indie game to go with this time because, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's not a kid anymore. OK, let's, uh, let's roll again. Let's see if we can get better this time. Uh, well, it's 15, so that's a much better roll. Uh, and this is Imagine's role as a talent spotter because uh, a lot of... Games writers debuted in the magazine. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we were incredibly lucky. I don't entirely understand why it was at that point that White Dwarf wasn't picking up so many of these people. And, and I, no, nothing's black and white about this. Obviously, you know, there were guys that overlapped on the two magazines and there were guys who, you know, did a, a couple of bits for us and lots for White Dwarf or the other way around. So you know, nothing's kind of absolute. But... We just, because we were talking to fandom so openly and we weren't using too much like staff writing, although we had the guys upstairs working on the UK modules, we didn't over rely on them for content. Uh, what tended to happen was that we would get stuff in and we, we developed a pretty good ear for what was good game writing or at least what was interesting or innovative or something. Um, so... Suddenly, out of the blue, uh, a guy like Carl Sargent comes along, who, for most of the time that I was professionally involved in gaming, has has been one of the most prolific and you know uh, great writers on the uh, for for all sorts of people. Somebody like that just comes out of the blue and goes, you know, I've got these ideas and I'd, I'd like to offer them to him. And you. Go. Wow, you know, uh, there's stuff here. This is new. I, I have, you know, with all the other submissions that come in and go, oh, I've invented this magic item. It, it, here's my revised treasure table. All the stuff that wasn't that, you suddenly kind of going, oh, yeah, no, this is cool. It just meant that we could then follow up with these guys and, and, and then almost kind of help them to semi, semi professionalize or professionalize their, their gaming output by kind of going, you know, this stuff reminds me of some stuff that we've seen, you know, such and such a company doing the States. You know, we were, I became a really fast and hard Chaosium convert. You'd get some guy who'd come and would write something. You'd go, I really love the way this all kind of works and the way you've tapped into uh, myth and fable and lore from 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 whatever context. Um, and knowing that uh, Chaosium were like, you know, at the time absolutely jonesing for pendragon content say um as i've gone back to the back uh, looking at the back issues and in preparing for this i, I really um, um struck by how uh, graham davis uh, was given yeah this room to uh, create specials about particular cultures and i think yeah. i think in an editorial you describe his uh, far eastern special as a, a testimonial to his uh, is writing and it's so true and you read it read it now and it's still great inspirational stuff that is really really useful uh to, to get yeah hold of. graham davis is a he's an absolutely prime example of someone who from the word go 
was not just going to stay within the tight confines of a game system who had ideas about storytelling and characters and uh, and background deep background um that were genuinely interesting and uh um from memory he did some of the pelinor stuff because again it was just absolutely you know uh down his alley for him to go oh so you just want some quick interesting stuff um about this uh, temple uh, yeah here you go and uh, rather like Carl Sargent, incredibly prolific. Uh, Graham is still uh, writing to this day. These guys, and they were instrumental. I mean, you know, putting the magazine together is one thing. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll take my credit and blame uh, uh, rationed out accordingly. But the guys who provided us with our best material, they were absolutely top draw. Uh, we were, uh, yeah, incredibly fortunate. So you, you've mentioned that uh getting imagine into its stride and getting itself established so, took um, some time but it did get established and it did shape up to a very distinctive uh, magazine but that seemed to end very abruptly so how did that come about now this i'm going to have to throw a small you know caveat here in you know don't speak ill of the dead and uh, and stuff like that but Imagine got caught up with the politics between TSR UK and TSR Inc. Uh, in Lake Geneva. Um, and we, certainly we of us on the staff and, 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 and kind of uh, the other creatives um, at TSR UK, just felt like uh, Imagine was a sacrificial lamb to put that relationship back in order. TSR Inc. was changing over senior management and it was uh, there were all sorts of convulsions and, you know, <clears throat> palace coup type stuff. And it was a particularly distressing time, I think, to be working, you know, at any kind of senior level in the States. And suddenly that seemed to reflect into a great deal of pressure on TSR UK and... We were we were on we were on schedule. There was this um, graph that Tom Kirby showed me once that said, "Here are key points in the life of this magazine, and here is where we need your circulation to be." And by the time of issue thirty, we were supposed to be thirty thousand plus, and we were thirty five. So everything was okay, and we were selling advertising. And I can remember the accountant lady the day after uh, we were all told that the magazine was closing, coming up to me and going, it's not about the money. We were all quite shocked, but it, it really, it just felt like the um, the um, the Americans were, were casting about for any way they could to increase the profitability of TSR at a time when it was struggling. But at the same time, we're a little bit ticked off with the UK's independence. The UK modules were some of their biggest sellers. They didn't like the fact that it was this crew in Cambridge that they didn't have their hands on that was doing all this. And Imagine Magazine was growing and seemed to be a... There was almost like a sense that they were offended by the fact that it wasn't Dragon, um, despite the fact that we kept saying to them, but you know, we, 
We have to do something different. Dragons in a vacuum, you know, is doing its own thing in the States. Over here, we've got White Dwarf. That's what we've got. To, that's what we've got to beat. So all of those kind of things kind of uh, came together and and suddenly um, this decision gets made. And, yeah, certainly the way it was kind of presented to me at the time was something something big had to happen to get TSR UK off the hook. Uh, and that was it. And that's what it was decided it would be. And, and you say sudden, so was it? Was it sudden for you? Was it an abrupt? Yeah. Or did you get a yeah. sense of it happening? No, it wasn't. No, yeah. because because our sales numbers were climbing, and because all of the things that we'd been doing were, uh, were, were seemed to be working, and the magazine was, you know, thirty issues in, maturing now, had its style, had its place. We were beginning to, well, not beginning to. We were definitely in that kind of mid phase that says that the really bad mistakes we're weeding out. We're kind of. Um, we're in a groove now that none of us saw that coming. There was an incredible buzz um, in the spring of that year when we did Games Fair and everything just seemed to be absolutely humming. So, yeah, there was hardly any notice at all. As I recall, issue 30 was uh, halfway through its production cycle. In other words, the, um, the, 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 the typesetting an artwork phase was about halfway done. Uh, so we'd have been in the last week um, before handing that all over to the printer when the news came out that we were going to close. And I think, I think I remember asking Don, well, how many more issues does that mean that we get to do? And he went, none. Um, get this one out of the door, that's it. I, I was sitting at my desk either after, immediately after that meeting or a day or two later, looking at my page plan charts for 31, 32, 33. You know, 31 was obviously largely filled out. 32, you know, three quarters was done. And looking at that going, and now none of this is going to happen. And, uh, yeah, uh, a real shock, a real, um, a, a, real uh, a real surprise. And so what, what happened afterwards? I, I know that you spent some time at White Dwarf. Did that come very soon afterwards? Relatively soon. I think like about a six or a nine-month gap. I, uh, I'd i made a couple of contacts. Oh, in fact, uh, one of the key contacts I made, there's a, there was a guy I did huge amounts of uh, marketing copywriting for through the late 80s and 90s, and Tom Kirby introduced me to him it was a coincidental thing where this guy wanted to do something game related for uh, that he was going to put on packets of shreddies um <laughs> and did we did we know something did we know someone who could uh, help him put that together and that that letter arrived on tom kirby's desk as all this was happening and he basically just handed me that letter and said put yourself in contact with this guy this will you know this will this will pay your rent for a while. <clears throat> um, so that was uh, that was through the uh, through the late eighties and nineties. Large, uh, well, and into the noughts, uh, large amounts of my time were spent as a uh, uh, as a marketing copywriter, and particularly through this this one guy and various contacts of his. And then, uh, yeah, about six or nine months, I did Game Master publications. That was just me kind of going, no, I'm a I'm. I, I'm a pro in this in, in this industry. I've got some chops. I've got some rep. 
let me see if I can't parlay that, that into something and, uh, and, and use the experience that we developed on Imagine to, and the contacts to, to see if we can't sort of do something similar but different. And then um, I met up with Ian Livingstone, uh, obviously of uh, Games Workshop Uber fame. And he's kind of gone, oh, you know, we've, um, there's some stuff that we want to do. Let me introduce you to uh, a couple of people. And he introduced me to a couple of people. And I had one interview. I won't name the guy, but I had one interview with a kind of mid-level manager there that was kind of about White Dwarf, but really wasn't, and, and this, that, and the other. And it was just a disaster. He and I, for whatever reason, just, yeah, one of those kind of personal things. Yeah, yeah. It never, just never happened. So I came away from that going, well, look, I I clearly I'm never going to be working for those guys. And then I bumped into Ian Livingston at some convention or something, and he's gone, what a, whatever happened? I've put you in touch with... And I've gone, well, I, I just had this uh, this one interview, and it was a disaster. He's got, I, I put you in touch with the wrong guy. Uh, and he then introduced me to Brian Ansell, um, and I went up to Nottingham uh, for an interview. And the uh, job offer that was put on the table there, I was like, yeah, here we go. This is, this is what I want to do. And then the very first thing I said, well, I don't want to do White Dwarf. And they've gone, no, absolutely. Because you've talked about all these board games and things uh, and Warhammer Roleplay. That's what I want. And yeah, no, absolutely, Paul. That's what you, and here's your job title, and this is what you're going to do. Cool. By the way, we're going to move production of White Dwarf. This is my first day in the office. That's right. First day in the office. Called into a meeting with uh, Brian Anson and a couple of other senior people. We're going to move production of White Dwarf up here to Nottingham. So it'll be typeset here. It'll be printed here. Blah, blah, blah. Everything's going to happen here. We've got all these paste-up artists that are working on all this. So they might as well be doing White Dwarf. We need you to go down to London, pack up everything, um, and see how many of the London staff will uh, come up to continue editing White Dwarf. Okay. Um, <laughs> So I'm on the train uh, the next day, go down to, I can't remember, I spent about a week uh, down in London and had this, uh, took uh, Ian Marsh and Paul Mason and uh, whoever else was on staff at the time out to dinner and in, okay, lads, look, you know, uh, here's how it's going to be. And here's, you know, you've seen that I've been finding what there is in the way of material and, uh, um, <clears throat> all of the sort of physical plant, although there's this brand new typesetter up in, in Nottingham. So, you know, I'm packing all this stuff. Obviously, it's going to, how many of you are coming with me? Hey, hey, lads, how many of you are coming? None, none, oh. none of us are coming. Um, oh, uh, and uh, bless them. They weren't, they, they weren't like going to actively sabotage the thing in a big way. They, uh, they just turned around and said, you know, uh, none of us are going to continue uh, editing the magazine so I'm like going back to Brian Ansell uh, and going well yeah you've got no editorial stuff man <laughs> and he's going well then you've got to do it and I was like I really did just want to go no that was exactly what we said I wasn't going to do never no more I'm done uh, and then I was like yeah but clearly you know we're I think I brought up a completed artworked issue of White Dwarf that could go to press and I'm like, but then, you know, there's four weeks now until we got to do that again. Um, so clearly I am going to have to edit this thing. But there was there was never any doubt about it. I poached TSR staff, including uh, Mike Brunton. And that was absolutely on the basis of, no, I'm, one of these guys is getting this the second I can up, offload it. And it wasn't that I disliked White Dwarf or I was, I just, 
I think it was still, you know, it's only, as I say, six or nine months after Imagine, I was like, I just don't want to do this again. I don't want to have to start that effort again wearing different clothes. And the whole point was uh, we didn't want to, Don had never wanted to kind of turn around to Ian Livingstone and say, can't we evolve White Dwarf in a way that helps D&D along? I, I don't want, that's just too hard. And listening to Brian Ansell, it was I'm not going to say I was pracing about this, but of course this is during the era of White Dwarf where it uh, moves from being uh, the UK's leading gaming magazine to becoming Citadel Monthly. Uh, and, you know, there was something in those in those discussions where Brian was kind of going, lots more about figure painting. And I wasn't kind of hearing that and going, uh-oh. Um, I was hearing that and going, yeah, okay, whatever. That uh, makes as much sense as anything else while we're uh, we're getting into the new way of things. But actually, you know, you, you sit there and go, if I had taken White Dwarf on, on again, I think it would have broken my heart because that's what happened starting on my watch and then the guy, and then Mike after me and Mark Gascoigne and, and on after that. That was just like, no, that's not what any of us wanted to do. It's really good to get the story behind uh, Ian Marsh's uh, bitter handover editorial. <laughs> yeah. there's, 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 sorry, I've forgotten the one other anecdote on this is that... Um, uh, obviously, they had, you know, huge boxes of uh, fan contributions. Um, and Ian tells me I lucked out because they'd used all of the good stuff and they didn't have a lot of kind of bank of good stuff. But anyway, they packed up these boxes with all these submissions. Um, and apparently the van driver halfway up the motorway just slung them, um, <laughs> took, them out the back of, took them out the back of the van and, and slung them. So, um when I'm kind of sitting there going, okay, so uh, we've got this one that we can send it off to print. All right, let me open these boxes. Let me find some articles that can be, oh, God, this is crap. All right, what about over, oh, no, shoot. Um, so when Brian Ansell was kind of going, oh, we need we need loads and loads of photos of, of figure paint. I was like, hell yeah, because I've got nothing um, <laughs> to work with here. And I was I was, I was ringing up the, uh, the Graham Davises and Carl said, I need content. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that, that Ian Marsh only told me that uh, relatively recently. And I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. So there was some stuff. It's just that uh, it's ended up in a uh, in, in, in a lay by on the uh, on the M1. Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Review of the year. Well, I'm in the room of role playing rambling once again. I'm joined in the room of role-playing rambling with, he wears a wig, he thinks he's big, but we couldn't give a fig, because he is the enemy of the people. Yes, it's Judge Blythe. Hello, Dirk. Enemy of the people? Enemy of the people, that's what you people are like, you people with, you people, with your you rules, people with your rules. Yeah. judging on things. So, uh, we're, in, we're in the room, today I'm full of vim, vigour. And I think a bit of brio. A bit of brio? Brio? A cleaning fluid? What is that? I do. I feel energised. I'm brasso, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm full of brasso again, are you? I've told you about drinking that stuff. <laughs> well, it's, I've got that kind of end of term feel, you know. Yes, Christmas, end of term. End of term. I'm yeah. coming in my own clothes. We brought a game in. Kaplunk. Yeah. Kaplunk. Yeah. Uh, Not a proper game. It's bring Kaplunk in, didn't you? Or yeah. Perfection. That was another one, wasn't it? Yeah. People bring a game in for school. Frustration. Frustration, yeah. Great. That's been driving people insane for longer than... It's all I can do, <laughs> it has, yes. <laughs> it's, been a, it, it's been, frankly, an uneventful year, hasn't it? I mean, when you look mm. 
it, it's barely going to register in world history 2016. We've had a, a colossal year of gaming. We have. We, that, that's, that's made the year bearable and interesting because nothing else. I've got some t- statistics here. Have you? Statistics. Hmm. <laughs> it's easy for me to say. The brass we've had nine different game systems. That's what we've played over this year. Nine different yes. systems. Yeah. Okay, let's compare that to last year where we did four different systems. Mm. That's that's huge, isn't it? That's, that's a lot of systems, that, isn't it? 36 sessions, 122 hours of gaming mm. compared to last year, 45 hours. Yes. What I thought we'd do today, uh, uh, Judge Blythe, um, is to have our first ever Groggy Awards. Okay. Right? And what well, the way that it'll work, I've got some categories here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we'll each need to make a nomination. Right. And I've got this spurious envelope. <laughs> a spurious envelope? Yeah, this is a spurious envelope. <laughs> I will open the spurious envelope. With, yes. And the winner will be determined. Okay. By the in spurious. True, in true awards yeah. ceremony style. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit low budget this year, but you know, next year we can go the full... Next year we have Stephen Fry presenting it. Yeah. It'll be really unlucky. Okay. <laughs> so, here we go. So, the first category is called the Back in the Day Today Award. Okay. The Back in the Day Today Award. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to nominate uh, RuneQuest, the Sea Caves. So, yeah. uh, we had a session with uh, patrons in uh, September. Um, where we um, revived the OSR classic of the CKs, which was released last year as part of the Kickstarter. And the team was a team of ducks with uh, Eddie in the lead playing his Clackneed character, who was a human uh, wannabe rune lord. And they went into the CKs and we had loads of fun, loads of... Uh, it, it, it was really... It's a really old school dungeon, so it was kind of checking for stuff mm. and uh, yeah. that, that kind of I think of I missed the first game, didn't I? But I joined the second one. Yeah. Yeah. And with a big, big encounter at the end. Yes. And just like good old fashioned Old fashioned RPG. Yeah. yeah. You can't beat it sometimes, can you? I think we've said this before. Fighting monsters sometimes is, is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Forget your sophistication. Yeah. We're not into that sometimes. No. Sometimes we are, but sometimes we're not. No. So that's uh, that, that's my nomination, and uh, yourself, what you what you. Um, well, I, I suppose thinking back this year, oh, I I suppose I'd have to nominate Fungi from Yugos, which we've been playing. Eddie's been running, playing Cthulhu, old school Cthulhu, what fifth edition, sixth edition, uh, third yet. edition, third they edition. Could, could they're, all, they're all the same, aren't they? It's just the layout that's different. <laughs> Who Let's not kid one? ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. What's the difference? People yeah. write in there and tell me the difference, but there's not much difference. Um, but yeah, we've enjoyed Fungi from Yugoth. Um and it's been uh, it's been a kind of it, it, that, that again. You see, is a kind of old school campaign, isn't it? It's old school Call yeah. of Cthulhu, going into crypts in Egypt. Get, getting dynamite, blowing up wells. Blowing up, yeah, blowing up wells with weird creatures and all the kind, of, all that kind of stuff. Which again, sometimes is is what you want. That's yeah. what you want, isn't it? It's, it's and it's quite pulpy as well, I think. Fun guy from Yoga. Yeah, it does have that pulpy, action-packed feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah, you know. Oh, so so those are the uh, two nominations. Yes. Okay. 
I'm going to get my spurious envelope. Okay. And open it up. It's very it's spurious, that envelope. It looks spe very spurious. It is spurious. Why, why, is, why, are we, why are we bothering with it? Yeah. And the winner is from Guy from Yugoth. From Guy from Yugoth. That's good. Well, a deserved winner as well, I think. Yeah. yeah. I rather hope that in... Um, I've enjoyed the campaign, but I rather hope that in 2017 that we reach the end of it because we are at that kind of final... Why is it driving you mad? <laughs> well, that's part of it. In the last session, I lost my favourite character, uh, Olive Kingsburg, who was a, a dilettante. Yes. Who, yes. who for, for many of the sessions, managed to avoid seeing she anything. She didn't see anything, did she? She was always out of the room or somewhere else when something <laughs> horrific happened, lose any yeah. sanity or anything. Yeah. And she didn't quite believe. No, no it was quite funny, that. Yeah. Yeah. I think one, one of the characters didn't believe anything. Yeah, but she, yeah. she uh, died horribly. And before going insane last time, so I'm gonna to have to roll a new character. But also, I think Eddie's planning on um, retrofitting the scenario with seventh edition. All oh, right, yeah. So well, that'd this, be interesting. Yeah. So this time next year, we uh, might be able to look at playing seventh edition. Seventh edition, yeah. yeah. Which well. is different from the other six. Yeah. That is significantly yeah. different, isn't it? Seventh I mean, edition. I've had a read of it, um, but it'll be really good. I'm looking forward to it. in 2017 yeah. actually playing it. Okay, so the next category. The next category is the Sharon Osborne Award. The Sharon Osborne Award. Why is it called the Sharon Osborne Award? Well, it's unusual, isn't it? Well, it's called the Sharon Osborne Award because it looks like it's new, but it's in fact very old. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah okay. Of course. Yeah. Here we go. My nominee in this category okay. is Tunnels and Trolls Deluxe. Edition. Okay. Of all the podcasts that we've produced this year, uh, by some degree the most popular in terms of number of listeners and number of responses that we've got has been the one for Tunnels and Trolls. Yes. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's an interesting podcast because re revisiting Tunnels and Trolls, I think we talked about this in the podcast at, at length, revisiting it, we realised what a great game it is. And how ahead of its time it was as well. Yeah. And how many games now, in a roundabout way, are more are like Tunnels and Trolls than D&D. And I think it's good that in a small way, in a small way, that the podcast actually um, got people interested in it again. Yeah. And Leisure Games started um, stocking um, after inquiries that were made after the podcast. So mm. yeah. it was good to play a small part in that. So what's your nomination? Well, my nomination has to be, I think, 5th edition D&D, oh, yeah. um, which we've, we've kind of discovered this year. We've had several games of it. Um, and I do, I do love 5th edition D&D. I really do love it. I think it's a brilliant reinvention of the game. And I think I've said, as I said before, it's almost, it, it's everything I always wanted D&D to be, but D&D never was. It's a game that we've discovered this year and I really want to play more of it. I think that's fascinating because at the start of the year, mm. at the start of the year, just like yes, I put it forward that I got this D and D starter set. And your position at that time, uh, enemy of the people. I'm, I'm enemy of the. I'm, enemy. I'm not enemy of the people. I'm just an enemy of some people. <laughs> Quite I a think, lot. The, the thing, the thing that you did at that time, we said, well, why, why, are you, why are you getting? another system why are, you, why are you introducing I know. this I know. and then 
as soon as we started playing it, we used, we it really captured mm. you. You really got into it, and yeah, before yeah. long, you got yeah. the the rule yeah. book. So. Yeah, no, I, I did. I, I know, and I do. I, I mean, we we we've had this debate a lot, don't we? That there was there is a problem with too many systems. One of the joys of role playing for me is settling into a game system and exploring it and playing different character types and fighting the different monsters and exploring the world. So I always have a bit of a problem with the idea that you play a game a couple of times and then you say, oh, well, I've played that, haven't I? I've played that. Well, no, you haven't really because it's like 5th edition D&D. I mean, there's about, what, it's about 15 character classes. Yeah. So you know, you've not, have you? Because you, you might have played a, a, a rogue, but you've not played a barbarian, you've not played a paladin, you've not met this monster, you've not met that monster. So you've not really played it. So I, I do I do have this kind of reservation about the idea of accumulating more and more game systems when really what I want to do is play two or three game systems a lot and yeah. explore them and really kind of get into them. So that was that's always my reservation when when you say you're going to buy you know, when, when Dirk says he's going to buy a new game system, but that said, it is a very good decision because I do I do really really like it. Well, let's uh, let's get this spurious envelope and have a look. <laughs> spurious envelope in the spurious envelope section of Staples was it? Is that what you yeah. bought? Pack of twenty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the spurious envelope says the winner is. D&D 5th edition. Quite right. Yeah, that's amazing. Quite right. I don't care what any, I don't care what people say. Because yeah. I'm their enemy, apparently. Um, you're about to launch us into the campaign yes. that's uh, oh. recently been released. Well, yeah. Stonking Let's the hope. Let's hope that works. It's the full bells and whistles roll 20 with the fog of war, all the maps, all the little tokens. I just hope everyone's computer can... Uh, can deal with so, it. So just explain that. So you've got Storm King's Thunder. Mm. So do, have you got the rule book? Have you got the rule book? No, 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 no. Right. It's, it's an odd, odd experience actually because I didn't quite know what to expect um, when I bought it through Roll20. But we, we had the discussion, didn't we? We'd, we'd finished the Traveller online game and, and I said, look, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll run something. I'll run 5th edition D&D. And Storm King's Thunder was available through Roll20 and I bought it through Roll20. I wasn't sure what I was going to get. And at first it was slightly bewildering because in my, in, my, <laughs> in, my, in my simple mind, my simple Luddite mind, I thought what would happen is you would get a few maps on Roll20 and you'd get a PDF of the rule book. You'd get, you'd get a PDF of it, you know. But that's, that's not what you get. It's quite interesting. What you get is all the plans, all the tokens, all the NPCs, all the pictures, everything. And the whole adventure is stuck. Can I, can I describe it? It's kind of embedded into Roll20. Right. So you create the game on Roll20 and the adventure is there for the games master to look at. And the players can't see it, but you can. And it, I suppose the best way of describing it is it's a bit like a Wikipedia version of uh, a scenario. So it, it presents itself as scenario would present itself but all over the place there's all sorts of little links so when it mentions a city you can click on the link and it takes you to that place so it's it hyper textual you can that's uh, the word say you know about these things don't yeah. you? You, you i don't i was yeah. i was struggling there <laughs> hyper textual yeah that's what it is and, and so if you get a character description does that if, you, if an npc turns up you get the character how do yes. you but how do you yeah. follow then the narrative how do you use it 
games master get the narrative in, the head, well, in your head? That Yeah, at, at first that took a bit of getting used to. But having said that, it, there is a column on Roll20 called the journal column. Uh, everyone's got that column, but you, when you log on as a player, you can't see it. And that journal does have everything listed in a linear way, so you can you know, open it all up in a linear way. But you find you don't tend to approach it like that. I mean, it, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? At the moment, the way I feel about it, I feel quite relaxed about it in terms of playing it. I think, yeah, I, I kind of know what's going to happen. I know how it's going to happen. And it's not been as difficult as you would imagine to read it and digest it in a yeah. hypertextual form. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at first it's a little bit bewildering because you just think, well, no, I just want, I want page one, page two, page three. That's how I'm used to dealing with yeah, the scenario. Yeah. And this doesn't quite... It sort of works like that, wouldn't quite work like that. So you go all over the place. But actually, it does, it does work. It does yeah. work. I think my main concern is the, as I said earlier, the, the kind of bells and whistles element of it. So you get the tokens, you get the monster tokens, you get the maps. So it's very, very visual and colourful. And that you do worry, you know, that when all seven of us are online, is it, is it going <laughs> is is it it to work, work or is it going to crash? Well, we're doing that through um, 2017, starting mm. in January. Yeah. I've created my character. And just to reiterate what you're saying, it is a great experience building your character up. Yeah. You know, just going through that thing of choosing a race, choosing your character class, mm. uh, your background and all the feats. Yeah. It, it yeah. kind of reminds you um, what a thrill it is building a character, you know, making yeah, your own character. Yeah, that's true. It does It yeah. does do that. that. That's what I like about it. it, it in some ways, it, it perfectly encapsulates the, the gist of the award we've just given it. It, it's, it. it is something that has a lot of nostalgia to it. But, you know, so you think, yeah, I, I could be a magic user again. I've not been a magic user for years because all the other games we play, you can't really do fireballs and things like that, and polymorph. Um, but you can do that. But the game's slick and modern. It has a modern feel to it. So it does balance those two elements. It's got nostalgia, but it has a modern feel to it. It feels like a modern game. Well, I'm sure Wizards, of course, can put this trophy of Sharon Osborne on the mantle yes. shelf Lovely. with all the others. Yeah, you know. with all the other Sharon Osborne trophies they've got. Yeah. <laughs> Not another Sharon Osborne trophy. Where are we going to put this one? Okay. Next one up. This one is the Donald Trump Rigged Rolling Award. <laughs> the Donald Trump Rigged Rolling Award. Rigged. Well, all rolls are rigged, aren't they? Until you win. That's then, it. then suddenly they're all right. Yeah. They're okay. <laughs> so this um, this is a celebration award that celebrates uh, dice rolling mm. in RPGs and um, to nominate major moments in the year that have been <laughs> formed by dice rolling. And I'm going to um, nominate uh, Eddie. Mm. Eddie in his shed. And particularly <laughs> his um, doomed Jack mm. in Numenera. Mm. So Numenera is a D20 system. And I think one evening, for the entire evening, he rolled a one. Yes, I think he did. I think, I think he was... spent all of his resources, <laughs> all <laughs> of his yeah, experience, he did. He did. and he kept rolling a one. Yes. But he wasn't confined to that, though, because... <laughs> Eddie also had a character in D&D 5th edition. Oh, yes. I, th I think this is, was a beautiful moment. Yeah, so uh, this is... this is this is, he, had a, he had a feat 
that meant he was lucky. <laughs> and he could, if he rolled a one, he got the opportunity to roll again. Yes, he did. So he rolled a one again. Yes. Yeah. So two ones think, in one. I think he rolled a one. I think what made it worse was he rolled a one. And everyone playing sort of laughed and went, oh, he can roll it again. I mean, you're not going to roll a one again, are you? But no. he did roll yeah. a one again. And he was uh, Clackneed, uh, the wannabe <laughs> rune lord in the Sea Caves adventure. And he lost his l- left leg uh, yes. to a sea serpent and yeah. had that fastened back on. And then later he came to the cave troll and lost an arm. So I think Eddie, Eddie I'm putting him forward for that. Terrible one. dice rolling. Terrible dice rolling. Mm. That, is, that, that is terrible dice rolling. So um, who's your nomination? Well, my nomination is, is the opposite end of the spectrum. I think this is for, for brilliant dice rolling. goes to Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones at uh, when we were at Grogmeet, uh, which we'll talk about later, no doubt. And I ran a game Stormbringer. And I think it went like this. He got a critical rolled against him. Um, and it, it, just before I talk about the dice rolls, it didn't help with the fact that I think we've mentioned about Stormbringer before being quite an unpredictable game. Yeah. Stormbringer's unpredictable and quite deadly. And if someone scores a critical against you in, in Stormbringer, it's double roll damage ignoring armour. I mean, it's almost certain death. If yeah. you get hit with a critical, you're dead. And my big problem, my big worry at Grogmeat was, it's Stormbringer. You know, they're all dead in the first half an hour. What do we do? <laughs> you know, it's quite possible. You know, yeah. that worry. Andrew Jones was playing a, a, a warrior. Um, he had a demon broadsword, which is significant. Um, a monster, that wasn't a monster, it was someone else with a sword, rolled a critical against him. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is You're it. in trouble. File your character sheet. File your character sheet, Andrew Jones. Yeah. Dead. <laughs> he managed to parry it. Oh. Managed to parry it. And there was a chance that his weapon would break. He made the roll. His weapon didn't break. Next attack, another critical against him. I thought, here we go. He's never going to do it again, is he? He managed to parry. And his weapon managed to make the roll to, to stay in one piece. Third attack against him. A critical. <laughs> Another critical. You weren't using Eddie's dice, were you? Well, I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another critical against him. This time he doesn't parry. So I think, oh, this is it now. This is it. But he was an agent of chaos and he had some uh, Elan points. I think he had 32 Elan points. Now, Elan points in Stormringer are essentially a percentage chance that you can call upon your god to save you. So he had a 32% chance of summoning his god to sort of step in and save him from this critical lethal blow that had landed on him. He made the roll and managed to survive. Incredible yeah, that, wow. incredible. To have survived that in Stormbringer, it's, I take my hat off to him. Even though they are random. Yes, yeah. plastic. Okay, let's have a look at the spirit envelope. And the winner is Ed in his shed. Mm, I think it had to be, really. Yeah. They were terrible dash We did discover something this year about dash, didn't we? Oh, yeah. We're yeah. not men of science. No. I know it's hard to believe, but we're not. Even though you know about hypertextual texts, yeah. you know about that, but uh, we're not men of science. But uh, we visited uh, the old scrolls, didn't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And whilst we were there, we, we heard of the theory that plastic dice 
People, people listening may know this, but for some reason, 30-odd years of role-playing experience, we, it's the first we've heard of it, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. Maybe it's an urban myth, I don't know. The idea that plastic dice can sometimes have an air bubble trapped inside. And give them a bias. Which gives them a slight bias. Yeah. And if you pop it into a glass of water and pop, it, pop the dice up and down, it should float. If it floats up in a uh, consistent way, there's a suggestion there, there's an air bubble in it. They, that, they, they, said that, they said that, didn't they? They, said they that. did say that. Yeah. That's why but, I'm saying But it. they put the dice in and then it, did, it didn't float. It's a bit like a ducking stool. It didn't float. <laughs> it's a witch or so a they, dice. <laughs> so somebody said, oh yeah, you have to put vinegar in it. Right, so they put vinegar in it. <laughs> did they? Yeah, vinegar in it? Well, I'm making a poached egg. <laughs> yeah. And then they said, oh no, it's not vinegar, it's salt. You have to put salt in it. So they put mm. salt. So, yeah. So it might not be true. Yeah. But I think I think what it shows, I mean, this year we have consciously, haven't we? We've consciously taken the decision to explore some of the story games. Mm. So yeah. we've played Fate, we've played yeah. Numenera, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which arguably is more of a story game. Yeah. Um, now it's Black Agent. Yeah. Uh, these indie games that supposedly don't uh, depend on dice, but that's a mute point. But it, this idea of being diceless, this idea mm. that you take the dice out of it and just uh, narrativise any situation, yeah. you lose something, don't you? You lose yeah, that thrill and excitement. Yeah. yeah, dice is still a part of it. There is yeah. still something about having to make that important role um, and either making it or not making it. You know, yeah. there's something about that. There is, there is that game element of it. Yeah, that that thrill in the Stormbringer yeah. game mm. can't be replicated through talking through it. The next uh, category is a critical role on the random encounter oh. table. Okay. 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 What's that? Well, not a random encounter. So these. Table. This is. Um, uh, this year has given us opportunity to meet different people. Mm. Um, this time last year, we were wet behind the ears. Dragon meat, yeah. Yeah, we went to dragon meat. And we didn't have an entirely successful experience. Mm. But there's something about this year that's kind of injected something into us to yeah. go out there and find people to play yeah, and, yeah. and go to yeah. conventions. Well, I think that's because when we went to dragon meat, we hadn't been to a convention for a long, long time. So we, no. didn't, we didn't quite know what to expect. And yeah. I think. The, the, the thing with the conventions is you've got to kind of grab them by the horns a little bit, haven't you? Yeah. And get involved, and that's the answer. So this um, this year, although we've not really gone to conventions, we've kind of reached out to the community that's gathered around the mm. uh, podcast, and we've met different people. So this is an award to uh, recognise that. So my nomination is Grog Meet 2016. All right. Yeah. So... You expect me to make a counter nomination, dear, to that to yeah. our event. <laughs> I'm supposed to I'm supposed to come up with a, a counter nomination. Oh no, I think this was better or that was better than our event. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so is your nominee going um, me as well? Oh. What, 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 we went what? to Stabcam, didn't we? Oh yeah, but well, that's not going to. That wasn't our event. No, you're not going to open the spurious envelope and find Stabcon's in there. No, Stabcon is the uh, Stockport-based. Yeah. Board games. It's yeah, it's more board games. There was, there was a role-playing room, but all we did was listen at the door. We did, yeah. we did a RuneQuest listen roll, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, at the door. We could, hear, traps. we could hear people obviously engaged in role-playing games. And we thought, I don't really want to walk in there. 
No. That sounds that might be really bad. They'll all look at us and we'll go, Hello, um, you're all playing role playing games, can we join? And we know full well there wouldn't be any bases because they were all booked up. So we didn't we didn't bother going in the, the role playing room. Yeah. We just listened at the door and they ran yeah. away like schoolboys. And and on the way there, <laughs> on the way there to um, Stabcon, I think we were a bit trepidatious when we were mm. a bit mm. unsure of what to expect. And I said and I said to you, What's the worst thing that can happen? That we somebody turn up and they, you know, tell us off for turning up. Yeah, um, that was the worst that could have happened. That's the it? worst that could have happened. Yeah. And sure enough, we turned up. Yeah. And we got told off. We did get told off. We got told off, yeah. didn't we? For being a bit too late and yeah. because I hadn't quite paid the full yeah, postage. We were, too, we were a bit late and yeah, you hadn't paid the postage on the yeah, we got a long story from the lady behind the desk that I should have to go to the post office for it. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. It didn't. They didn't. It didn't set us in a good place, did it? Really? <laughs> no. So it was a bit like, oh well, you were late. You're a bit late. Uh, things have started. Yeah. And um, I had to pay another thirty-five p on this envelope. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. There are your badges. Go and enjoy yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. okay. That was our experience. It might have been. You know. It was. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm sure. It's we wonderful. we just. I, I, we just didn't know what to expect. To be fair, didn't we? We, no. we didn't know. I, I I didn't think it was quite. As, didn't expect it to be quite as board game heavy as it was. And we did have some fun, didn't we? Because we met we met that guy Ian yeah. who showed us a couple. Of, he played a couple of games with us. A, yeah. a couple of board games, and we played some board games with other people. But there was the um, there was the pick up and play thing, wasn't there? Yeah. And I think did you get the, the game of Thrones, <laughs> the Game of Thrones board game? Yeah, I, I love this optimism you've got. This, this is the thing. For any of the people who don't really know us, you are the eternal optimist, and I am the eternal sort of Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder, saying it's not going to work. I love the way you picked up the Game of Thrones board game and said, "Come on, come on, let's play this." And we opened it up. That's about five thousand pieces. Or yeah, just, yeah, five thousand pieces, six thousand cards. And we just looked at everything and then quietly put. You know, hoping no one noticed because they make us look amateurs. Like, look at those two idiots over there. Have they ever played a game before? Opened it and discreetly put everything back in the box, shut it, and, and tried to nonchalantly put it back on the pile with a look of, we could play that, we just don't want to. <laughs> yeah, we're we, just having we, a look. We're just <laughs> having a look. We've we played it before. We just wondered if it was the same set that we've got at home that we play all the time. You know, in actual fact, we were thinking, oh my God, we've only got an afternoon. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I won't bother with this beerish envelope. There's no point. It wins grog, by grog, default. Grog, grog meat wins by default. It's our, our thing, isn't it? So, grog meat was the uh, mini convention that we set up in November this year, uh, just over a, a month mm. ago, um, and you know, I think I, I came up with the idea earlier in the year, didn't I? I came mm. up with the idea of yeah. just getting some people together mm. and uh, playing some games. It kind of grew from. Uh, grew from there um, and again we didn't know what to expect but it actually worked out really really well didn't it? It did yeah it did yeah you I know. think you were quite anxious a few weeks before weren't you as, as it as it got nearer and nearer yeah you were a bit anxious we were both a bit anxious because you think yeah are people going to show up are people, people really going to show up yeah are people really going to show up to this and it turns <laughs> out that, that, that was the remarkable thing on the day there's a couple of remarkable things first thing is the amount of energy Always there, you know. Yeah. Just kind of, it was great. Just the, the the place just took off, didn't it? Yeah. People yeah, yeah. turned up. Yeah. And they started. Just playing. ran itself, really. It didn't ran it? itself. Yeah. Ran itself. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, the other remarkable thing was actually realising that people listen to this Bobbins. Yeah, they do, yeah. You know, and they're real people, mm. real living people. And many of them are very, very tall. They are. I'm quite tall, but I, I must admit, I thought... Yeah, very big, very tall people. Yeah. I think the demographic of our podcast yeah. is predominantly very tall. People. It's a six foot plus yeah. demographic. Do you think <laughs> could be? Couldn't it? <laughs> very tall. If you had all the listeners together, and as an average, it's probably six foot eight. Yeah. But that 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 was the, that was the thing. And uh, Martin, uh, one of the guys playing in your game, uh, came over to me mm. uh, halfway through the day, about lunchtime, and he just said, "You do realise that there are." Two floors of people laughing, joking, mm. having a great time playing games yeah. uh, because you did this. And that kind of made mm. everything yeah. feel good. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, it was good. There was a real, I think there was a real sense of, even though people came from all over the place, yeah. you know, somebody came from, is it Aberdeen? Yeah. Aberdeen. And I thought, from Aberdeen? Really? This? Southampton. Yeah, Southampton, yeah. Even though people came from all over, it was a real sense of community because we were all there to play a game, play role-playing games and have, have some fun. And that's yeah. how it kind of worked, didn't it? You know? And there was a mixture, wasn't there? So there was a mixture of uh, gamers who were kind of, you know, cut in half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gamers still playing, always still playing. Play, yeah. And, and mm. avid collectors. But I think the thing uh, that struck me was that there was a lot of people who were playing games, uh, role-playing games, for the first time in about 30 years, mm. you know, they turned up and this was the first game that they played. Yeah, yes. Yeah, cool. yeah. So it's 2017 next year. So we're going to do it again? Go on then. Yeah. It's very doable. Very doable. That's what you said last year, wasn't it? That's what I said when you first suggested it. Yeah, doable. It was doable because you did it. Yeah, but I think um, I think we need to think about it because uh, it, you know, the, the way that these things work when we do collaborations mm. is that you start off with, why don't me, you and Eddie get a shed somewhere? <laughs> yeah, so do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Whereas you want it to be like Indianapolis, Gencon, Gencon, somewhere in between, won't it? Somewhere it between. Was, somewhere was between. Somewhere between a shed. That between three people in a shed. And uh, and Gen Con. <laughs> that's what you can expect next year, everyone. Something in be- somewhere between those two points. Yeah. Admittedly, probably closer to the shed <laughs> than Indianapolis to Gen. Closer well, to the shed. Mm, We've yeah. got the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think one of the things that we do need to. I'm keen to do it in the same month. So it'd be good to do it in uh, November of next year. Yeah. And that gives us time to start it out. Yeah. And to do it in <laughs> Manchester. Okay. Yeah. Um, but to find a different venue so I think if people have got any suggestions of venues it'd be good to yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it'd be good as well because it was good the night before wasn't it um, we went into uh, Fanboy 3 which is our friendly local game yeah. store and we played uh, Fong Shui Fong Shui yeah. Yeah. yeah I enjoyed it so much I, I bought, the, uh, bought the rules you bought a new game system I bought a new what, game, what game system new I know game system? I know Duplicitous answer. Yeah. I'd say I could stage you for doing it, but then secretly I haven't done it. Yeah. I am an enemy of the people. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm beginning to realise that now. So um, look out on thegrognardfiles.com uh, for more details on that. But really, if you've got any good 
um, suggestions for uh, venues then do let us know okay so the uh, last uh, category I've got here is new kicks on the top the table top don't really work does it new kids on the top <laughs> the table <laughs> top new kids on the table top yeah okay so these are new games okay yeah, so these are brand new games that we've played mm. this year um, th th that we've enjoyed. Yeah. Okay. So my uh, nomination has to be Numenera. Because mm. we've had quite a few sessions in Numenera. We? Yeah, we've played some at the beginning of the year. We've played a few recently, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. And I've really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the um, character creation process, I think I've said before, um, the way that you could choose the character. Mm. And the whole um, setting is so imaginative and rich, and I do like the idea that you scavenge for mm. ciphers in yeah. the ninth world, so yeah. the remnants of previous civilizations, previous so, civilizations yeah. that are left behind, mm. and you've got this one-use mm. uh, uh, cipher that you can use that's got ma magical properties mm. and. Uh, Coming up with things that you can do with them and making them some of you more useful than others, yeah. others you have to be quite yeah. inventive with. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I've, I've we played in Numenera, I've run Numenera, and uh, I, I've, I have found it quite a, li a very liberating game. And I think that by playing Numenera, that it's kind of, I can see that sense of liberation. It's made you a better games master. Mm. Yeah. Because I feel that you are more willing I'm not saying that you're uptight I'm not going to use the word uptight <laughs> I use the word I use the word precise yes you know because you know your, your normal style is to make sure that we're following a particular way yeah and yeah. if we steer off that way mm. you can almost feel it yeah in previous games yeah Numenera you, you don't mm. get that because you feel more yeah. Relax. Yeah, that's exploring it, yeah. the world. Yeah, and, and, and also the scenarios that I've put together, which are kind of fifty percent their stuff and fifty percent my stuff, because it it gives you that feeling that you can invent things and elaborate on things and go down certain roads without stepping on Monty Cook's toes. You know. Yeah. Um, I've done it in a far more sandboxy way. Yeah. So I've set things up and thought, right, let's see what happens. And uh, your nominee? Well, my nominee. Um, is for, interesting for similar reasons to you. Is Knights Black Agents because mm -hmm. Knights Black Agents. I've been a player. You you from Knights Black Agents. And the reason I enjoyed Knights Black Agents is because there was we've we've played it a few times, but this year um, we played it earlier this year, but we played it more recently over summer, didn't we? And it was that great moment where, as a player of a game, the game system clicks in your head. And you think, oh, I see how this gumshoe works. You know, I have these abilities that I can use. And I think I compared it to having a hand of cards. Yes. It's a system where there are dice rolls, but you also have these skills that you don't you don't make dice rolls for. And it was that thing that when we started playing, it, it was a little bit bewildering because I thought, well, hang on, I've got I've got this, you know, I don't know, military science skill or something too. What do I do with it? Do I roll? You know, I don't roll. What? What? I just use it. I, it was yeah. weird. It was a bit counterintuitive because yeah. you're used to just thinking, "I've got a skill. I'm going to try and use it and make the roll." Um, and I think this time when we played it, 
it clicked in my brain that the idea is you've got these skills and you're in a certain setting, a certain situation, and the idea is to cleverly say, right, okay, architecture of the building, I've got this skill, I'm going to use this skill to see if there's anywhere uh, where someone would escape out the back door. And you go, yeah, right, okay, you can do that. Because I think that's what happened, isn't it? I yeah, went yeah. into a building and there was a sniper, I realised there was a sniper outside mm. who was going to try and shoot me. And instead of making roles, you start playing skills about architecture, the street maps, would I have them? And you, you play, it's like playing a hand of cards almost. Yeah, that's yeah. the way, that's the only way I can yeah. describe it. And that clicked. And we had one of those great role-playing sessions with Knights Black Agents where uh, a gangster asked us to kidnap uh, a young footballer yeah. to fix a football match. They had a star player. We needed this gangster's help to escape from these vampires and things were chasing us. Um, so he, he wanted us to fix a football match by getting rid, they use the, the term loosely, getting rid of this young lad who was a star player. We didn't care how we did it. But it was that brilliant moment in a role-playing game where me and Eddie had a moral crisis and thought, well, we, we could just kill him, but he's, he's a young lad, he's a young fool. We can't do that. That's a terrible thing to do. And you think it's only a game, it's not real. You do what you want. There's no alignment. There's no, you know. But but we decided, and come with a convoluted plan to kidnap him. We didn't kidnap him, did we? We took him out on the town, didn't we? we took him out on the town. Took him out on the town. With his entourage. Got him drunk with his entourage so that he would miss the game the day after. And and it was just a fantastic role playing session where the whole session was about getting a young footballer drunk with the idea of fixing a football match. And you think, I never saw that coming. When we started playing that game, I never saw that coming. Um, but it was a great moment of, of say, moral ambiguity. Yeah. Where you, we could just shoot him in the leg. Well, you can't do that. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? So you had to come up with something quite realistic and, and moral. <laughs> no, it was a really good, fun session. And yeah. you didn't see the uh, vampire that came down the ceiling tore the heads off the entourage yes the, that's right so yeah. they're all killed anyway yeah. <laughs> well yeah. I think I think, no, I think he survived didn't yeah, he but yeah. he's a gibbering wreck <laughs> yeah and never play football again yeah we just shot him in the leg he might have got better <laughs> there you go so much for morality and role playing okay spurious envelope spurious envelope and the win is Numenera mm-hmm. okay yeah. yeah that's good yeah and I think uh, we need to revisit those games uh, at some point. Yeah, I think we should do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we'll put it on the on the schedule for, for next year. So looking forward to uh, I mean, it, it, when you look back on the year, we spent we spent this time looking back on the year. It's been a strange year. When I started this year, mm. January this year, I started off as a kind of a carefree, happy-go-lucky uh, person, generous. Would you say? People well, yeah, reasonable, yeah. Yeah, reason- yeah. Reasonable. Reasonable. Man. Reasonable man. A reasonable man. A reasonable man, yes. A reasonable man. I would man. say that, yeah. But somehow, at some point this year, every, everybody's turned against me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, for example, I've got to my uh, parents' house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had a great relationship with my family all my life. But suddenly, um, they take an issue with my opinions on things. You know, really? they kind of... Yeah, getting quite really, yeah, yeah. angry about yeah. it and nothing's changed the, the only thing that's changed is that I've got this podcast so because Maybe I've it's, got it's fame isn't it it's fame it's really fame yeah at work you know you can be having a conversation or you know expressing your opinion about something 
everybody, they started calling me a metropolitan elite. Really? Yeah. Mm. I come from Bolton. Is that a bad thing? Well, I come from Bolton. You can't be elite in Bolton. Not can really. You? Don't think you're a metropolitan either. No, can no. You? Look at my window. There's trees. Yeah. Hard to, hard to, hard to, yeah. Hard to, yeah. Hard to, so, I wonder what that is about. Nothing's, nothing's changed. It's been an event for a year, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I only hope that people start to see reason. Mm. You know, my hope for 2017 is that people start to see reason and accept that I've got a podcast. And it's yeah. perfectly Hopefully okay. All right, perfectly it? okay yeah. to have moderate views. Yeah. <laughs> moderate views. Nothing, nothing's, nothing's happened this year to upset people. No, okay. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> what has possibly happened? We've spent the year, haven't we? Immersed as as the stats show. We've spent the year immersed in role playing, and we get to this point of the year and find everyone's upset about something. Yeah. What? What? What's yeah. happened? So, before we close, your resolution for two thousand and seventeen. My resolution for 2017. Your gaming resolution. Because obviously you're going to have your state. I'm, I'm going to still have my, you know, stop picking my nose and that kind Lose of thing. Lose weight. Yeah. And not bother with it. Yeah. yeah. By February, I've put weight on. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I enjoyed, I, I, it's probably, probably to run a game at a convention. Because I, I, I mean, going back to Grogmeat, you know, we were worried. I was quite worried about running a convention game. I, I, I did think to myself, I'd never run a, run a convention game for people, strangers, effectively strangers. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, everyone was, everyone was lovely and nice. It, it was great. But before I'd met anybody, yeah. I was thinking, I'm going to run Stormbringer for people. I don't really know. I don't know them. Yeah. It's quite a nerve-wracking thing, isn't it? You know. Um, but when I ran it, I thought, actually, I enjoyed this. It's been okay. It's been good. Yeah. You know, and may, maybe 2017. It's the year that you do run, run another one somewhere. Well, I think I we should, I think we should certainly attend because we're I, we're going to that um, convergence, aren't we? In um, Stockport, yes. and I'm running yeah. the uh, Luther Arkwright um, Mithras game mm-hmm. on the 18th of March. You know, convergence, but we should also attend um, conventions this year. We should put uh, make a concerted effort. Yeah, UK yeah. Games Expo. Yeah, we've been meaning to go to that for a while, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. and Dragon Meat because. When they were following it on Twitter uh, this year, I know. you still want to be there, don't you? It's a weird addiction, isn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Not that weird. It just is an addiction. So it'd be good, wouldn't it, to run uh, Grog Meat in uh, November and mm. then you run the same game, uh, Dragon Meat? Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. So what's your resolution? That's your resolution, and you're committed to it. Committed to it. Now. It's on. It's recorded. I'm going to be. What's your resolution? I'm going to be. <laughs> What? What's your resolution? Come on, I'm, out with it. I'm going to be a little bit more circumspect and uh, not commit. <laughs> don't like me into it. It's just having non-commitment year. You well, don't commit to anything. I, it's going to be a very disruptive year because mm. I am moving brick by brick. Dirk Towers <laughs> is moving and there's going to be some degree of upheaval uh, in my life. Yes. So, one of my resolutions is just to maintain the level of games that we've had this year. Yeah, that, I must admit, yeah, that's, yeah, because you, you're moving into a new house, but you have to move out of your house before the new house is ready. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So the place where I'm moving, it's a bit, Dirt Tower is a bit like Howell's Moving Castle, though, you know, but the location, <laughs> the location. It's a is, concept, isn't yeah. it? Dirt Towers is more of a concept yeah. than a thing. Yeah. That's what matters. 
Yeah. It's the concept, the spirit of Dirk Tower. It's yeah. not the bricks and mortar. No. But for the next four to five months, I will be effectively homeless. Okay. So, yeah, that's my resolution, is just to make sure I can maintain the same level. But also, I would want to explore some of those games that were available during our deep freeze, so during the 90s. Because mm. that was... Um, what I picked up from Grogmeat, you know, speaking to people in the pub afterwards and uh, the night before, is that there is a blind spot in my experience of uh, yeah. playing games and all that kind of growth of indie games and the White Wolf publishing, that kind of thing. So I'm going to go down that route and see what goodness we can find in that area. Mm. Well, we were recently, we were very, very kindly sent a copy of Ars Magica, weren't we? We were, so. Uh, yeah, Matthew Broom, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and just a copy of, uh, of that. So, yeah, and that that's interesting. Very, very different. Um, well, not to role playing game, not, not that different, but in some respects, very different from the kind of things we're used to. It would be interesting to kind of explore those things. Definitely. Yeah. And here's hoping that um, we have a lot more gaming and people around us are a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, for whatever reason, they seem to be upset. Yeah. I'm sure 2017 will be better than 2016. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong in 2017? Be fine. Thanks for that, Blythe, for your judgment. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> See you next time. See you. Last bit. Observant listeners will realise and remember that I promised a feature that responded to at Daily Dwarf's piece about the coverage of science fiction and fantasy literature in White Dwarf. I was going to put forward a case that Imagine which much more full-blooded in their desire to enrich the gaming hinterland through its reviews written by Dave Pringle, Colin Greenland and Neil Gaiman. I've run out of space, but I'm going to post it on thegrognardfiles.com. There's where you'll find our plans for 2017 too. Thank you to everyone who's listened written to us, reviewed us and contributed to the Patreon campaign in 2016. It's very much appreciated. And the podcast will always remain free, but your generous support has helped us to realise the production of a fanzine. A little mini-mini-con, the grog meet, online games and to develop the content of the podcast and cover other costs. Well, the latest addition to the Honorary membership at Patreon are at $1, Zachary Taylor and Ernest Ng. Thank you very much. At $3.5, there's Mike Mason, David Larkins, Joe Tallman, Brett Easterbrook and Barry Treen. Great to have you on board and thank you. For the $5 tippers, I reach for a table and roll them something special as a virtual gift. The winner of the Sharon Osborne Award was D&D 5th Edition and I've discovered a great table in there for Wild Magic Surge, a kind of sorceress magic that can go wrong when you roll a 1 on a D20. So I'm going to have a roll on it using a, a D100 and first up is Jonathan Sample. So here goes. Oh, you cast the magic and... Oh, 77... Uh, you've cast polymorph on yourself. I'll roll again. 
and I'm afraid you've failed your saving throw, so you've turned into a sheep. Sorry about that. Um, okay, let's hope that this one's a bit better. The dice mechanic. Okay, 17. Oh, you've grown a long beard of feathers. But whatever you do, don't sneeze. Thanks, dice mechanic. Okay, Tony Farina. He's up to his pledge level. 38. Oh, no. Uh, I'll have to roll again. Uh, three flumps have appeared. Well, at least you've got some flying crockery. Uh, okay. Finally, last but not least, Bob Castlake. Oh, 41. Uh, sorry, I, you've turned into a pot plant. Well, at least you can furnish a traveller stateroom. But uh, I'll make sure that the sheep stays away from you. Okay, thank you to all of you. And don't let that put you off, uh, Patreon. Uh, anybody else who's thinking of doing it. Okay. <clears throat> Next time, I will be reaching across the sea to America during these tumultuous times to speak to the president himself, Rick Mainz, president of Chaosium, to talk about his earliest experiences of RPGs. We'll also have the return of Judge Blythe's rules, looking at Mithras, the new name for RuneQuest 6. Until then, all the very best for a fantastic new year. Adios, amigos. <laughs>